1: When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller karras
0: Welcome to Resiliency Within, I'm your host, Elaine miller Karris, And the title of today's show is Trauma Healing, Safety and Trust Built Upon Resilience. We are also live streaming on Facebook at Resiliency Within if you'd like to join us on the live stream. My guest today is Clive Corey. He's coming to us from Belfast. He's a Northern Irish businessman and one of the directors of Action Trauma LTD, a nonprofit he founded with his son, Brian, in the memory of his wife, Gillian. In 2016, following her death, um, he started really doing a deep dive into. Complex trauma, and realized that perhaps trauma may have compromised his wife's immune system. He became passionately committed to understand trauma, and I—is it really true? Almost 50 books, and probably more. Clive, you have um, you have read on trauma and the stress disease connection. He learned that trauma was a widespread, pervasive, and debilitating condition, which in fact which affected large numbers of people and initiated many serious illnesses, including cancer. He really felt it was on a scale of a worldwide pandemic. His journey led him to understand that trauma was often the root cause behind addictions, obesity, anger, depression, self-harm, and suicide. He learned intergenerational trauma was rooted in Belfast as one of the world's trauma cities. Wishing to raise public awareness about psychological trauma, its causes, effects, and treatment, Clive has been gathering together many of the world's best-known trauma experts and in 2018 organized the first International Trauma Recovery Summit in Belfast for health professionals alongside a young Hearts and Minds event for youth and social workers. The following year, he organized a conference on intergenerational trauma and adverse child experiences. And these conferences have been really hugely successful. I was very fortunate to go to the one in 2018. And he has continued, even though COVID, is has, as we all know, has impacted how we have been able to, um, to be present in the world. But What he's going to do with us today, he's going to discuss the mission and purpose of action trauma. He will share the wisdom of his journey and beautifully expressed when he stated, my greatest personal achievements have been to discover, nurture, and to practice love, kindness, understanding, and compassion, firstly in myself, and then to encourage and share them with others. These emotions, thoughts, and attitudes are badly needed if we are to heal the world of trauma. So it's my great honor to introduce you to Clive. Welcome, Clive. And as we start, I'm gonna ask you, what is on your
2: mind today as we begin? Thank you very much, um, Elaine. How can I follow such a a buildup that you have (laughs) given me? Um, And uh, I suppose what's on my mind is, uh, will I be able to match up to the high standards that you have set with your show? and having people uh, talking about this and the, the beneficial effect this must have on the world of trauma. Well, I certainly hope so, um,
0: Clive. And I, I think that, you know, when I met you um, a number of years ago now in Belfast and we had dinner together with our friend, Leslie Carroll, I was very struck by your lived experience and how you were really inspired by the memory of your wife and i have i have no doubt that you're going to illuminate us today too about your journey and what you have done some of the ideas and thoughts you have about how we can come into the world and, and be healing ambassadors and hopefully not create more trauma in our wake as we go through our relationships with not only ourselves, but with our family, our friends, and our and our wider community. So I'm I'm wondering if you might want to share with us as we start. Um, how has your lived experience inspired you to create the work that I can clearly see you're passionate
2: about in the world? Well, I've been very fortunate in my life in in so many ways. And I think gratitude is another word that I would add to all of the things like love and compassion and understanding kindness. Because gratitude has a great way of making you feel better, not just about yourself, but about the world and to to think positively. And as you will know, Elaine, one of the problems with um, the world and with people is that we are predisposed to be negative. Uh, And that comes way back it uh, Goes way back to to the times when we were as as apes, and if you heard a twig crack, it was always better to think that it was a tiger about to attack you, than to think, oh no, that's just a twig cracking. It's probably another uh, ape like me. So we are prone to negativity, and we are we and the press, unfortunately, very often tend to to build on that. So we have to overcome that. So gratitude helps you to overcome it. My working life started off. Um, and that was formative to what I'm doing today um, in a family business, uh, timber and builders merchants in West Belfast. And we were actually placed between the uh, Republican Bally Murphy and the Protestant Spring Martin. And we had a 24-acre site. And we were effectively the peace line because we were non-political as a family. Um, we were business people. Uh, And we were trying to run a business and the the sort of the the troubles, if you like, started and we were beset by them uh, over various uh, years. We had tragedies as well, uh, but we managed to survive with 100 Catholics and 100 Protestants working together happily in the workplace. And then in the evening, they would go out, the Catholics turned left at the top of the road Mm. and the Protestants turned right. And after that, they went back to communities, fell into the old habits of, of us and them. And uh, that was a very formative experience for, for me at that time.
0: So do you feel, Cl- Clive, that when they were with you, uh, working with you, there was a we rather than an us versus them as they worked together?
2: So there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt that they worked together together. Uh, well, because that was a common cause, you know, they were getting wages and uh, we were selling timber and we builders coming in, but they worked happily together. But as soon as they went out, then they went back into communities and formed these views again about, we are, you know, those are the other side. Uh, And that very early on uh, affected me. And then later on, um, when uh, I set up business on my own with Gillian, And uh, we actually do a lot of business in the Republic of Ireland. We don't really sort of discriminate anywhere. But uh, then when Gillian got her cancer tragically in 2015, um, I had no idea about trauma. Uh, And then uh, it came, one of my daughters discovered somebody in Edinburgh who gave me some information. We got onto Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate. And he wrote a book, uh, When the Body Says No, And that's all about our immune system being affected by depression, anxiety, stress. And I know that Gillian was stressed at the time. Her mother wasn't very well in Scotland and she was worried about her a lot. And I'm pretty sure that all of this built up. Her immune system went down and I have a feeling that the cancer got through at that point. So... Uh, you can only speculate as to that, but i'm when you read gabor's book it 's very, very convincing he's lots of uh, uh, and lots of other things like multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia all of these can be linked to the autoimmune system being down at the time so clive I, I think it's so interesting so here you were a businessman,
0: your beloved yes. wife um, is stricken with cancer, and then yep. you come and explore in the world of trauma, reading some of the very well-known authors like Dr. Gabor Maté, and all of a sudden it sparked something with you. So, did you have any inclination that you would become, in really a very short period of time, that's like five years, that you would become a really a mover and shaker in bringing some of the leading experts about trauma to Northern Ireland, but when I went to the conference, there were people from the entire world that came to that conference. There, was that, there were, I think, thousands of people there. It, it certainly, certainly seemed that way. Yes, so how yeah. did that happen, going from a timber business to being an ambassador of trauma recovering and also a messenger of wanting to get this word out?
2: Well, I think it's because trauma was there to be discovered. Mm. Uh, and it is a huge problem. And I could not believe how few people knew about it. And when uh, I was looking after Jillian, as she went through all of her treatments for the cancer, uh, I'm afraid it took her away after about 10 months. But um, during all of that time, when I was looking after, I had all, we were sitting in waiting rooms, doctors' waiting rooms, at home, and I was reading all of these books, and I had time on my hands because I wasn't at work. Uh, Brian, my son, was looking after the business, and we've got a very, very capable team. We were all doing their best, so I had time, and I read these things, and I thought, my goodness. Uh, you know, if people need to know about this because so many people's lives could be saved. And then when I discovered all the other things like addictions, obesity, uh, and suicide all linked to this. Now, I have to say that there's a risk of me becoming a trauma evangelist <laughs> in that I believe that everything is caused by trauma. Yeah. Uh, and to some extent, that's true. But I try and be balanced where I can. Uh, it it is a very, very big factor in an awful lot of people's uh, pain and and, and agony. Um, And then not just trauma, when you start looking at things like suicide and suicide ideation, uh, it it is people's needs not being met. It's uh, concerns and worries that are far bigger than than the person actually... uh, They think it's bigger than it actually is, but it's reached that stage. And suicide is a coping strategy.
0: Yeah.
2: They usually start off self-harming, but the suicide is actually the way to stop the central nervous system having all this pain
0: so in the same pre- way that
2: alcohol would do that. Yes,
0: yeah, so, so you really had this awakening during Absolutely. this course. And so, you know, one of the questions that's linked to that, um, the tragedy of losing Jillian, is that what helped you get through um, her death?
2: Oh, and I think it had to be therapeutic to be, to literally be so busy after she had gone and, uh, you know, that we're trying to pull the pieces together and, and you try and all her clothes have to go off to the charity shop. And I mean, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it, yes, about it. Uh, and talking about it. of course. And then you uh, you just miss the person terribly. Yes. You pine for them, you pine for them to be there. But there's no doubt that time is a healer, and as time goes on, and if you've got the ability to heal and you've got the support, support and friendship of friends and family is fantastic.
0: So those relationships helped you get through that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm also wondering. You know, this is um we had didn't talk about this question, but um you've done a lot um since her passing, in terms of yeah. being this ambassador, this messenger. If she would would have known that her husband Clive Corey, would be this ambassador bringing really international leaders to Belfast and having this imprint into not only Ireland but the wider
2: community, what do you think she would you, you think she would have known? What would she say to you? What would she have said, Clive? I think, in a sense, and this maybe seems an unusual thing to say, I think she would have said, "I didn't die in vain." Ah. <sighs>
0: My because goodness, I didn't
2: die in vain. This is, it, I wouldn't have done this without her. And I'm not saying, you know, so it's happened as a result. I find myself fulfilled every day. Yes. Uh, I, I go out for a walk with my dog in the morning first thing. I'm very fortunate, as I said, I live overlooking the sea. I take a deep breath and I think, my goodness, am I not lucky to be alive, oh, enjoying this? And then we all go off for our walk. Um, and I think, yes, it, it gives you a sense. And that's the gratitude coming in, which, which yes. helps.
0: And the gratitude of, of her and knowing her. Yes. I, yes. And, you know, when I first talked to you, I felt that she was with us at dinner because yes. you had talked about her in such a loving way. And I can still feel that right now as you,
2: as you share you know, your journey since then. Thank you yes. so much. And we we had, uh, I mean, when, when I read now and talk to people about gender violence and about families that split up and the terrible things that go on, and Gillian uh, and I loved each other so deeply for 39 years, there was hardly ever a crossword said. There was certainly never any physicality. And I supported her and she supported me and it was a mutually beneficial relationship which produced three wonderful children. And uh, we were very lucky uh, in lots and lots of ways.
0: So, you know, when you t- when you um, explain this to me and you talk about this, and I know that I've heard you use the word resilience, what does the word resiliency mean to you? Can you give me your kind of definition of what that word is? It can be a little controversial word these days.
2: Yes, I think it comes from... Um having a, a good foundation, that you are stable, that things have gone. And th- this is, again, where I was very lucky. My own parents, uh, I was born in 1950. Um, I know that my family was quite well spread out in age because my sister was 14 years older, my brother seven years older. And that was all caused by the war in the middle. My father survived the war in the RAF. That was lucky. Um and then after that, uh, I, I came wrong. I think I was planned to be a little girl to look after my mother in her old age. That, <laughs> it's
0: a surprise that, to be the boy, yes. <laughs>
2: um, and I never heard them again, a bit like myself and Jillian, have a crossword to say to each other. Uh, I never saw my father drunk, uh, i he only ever used the F word once when he caught his finger in a spring putting together something in the garage. <laughs> and apart, so I was literally that, that balance and that sort of strength, I think, gave me the resilience that I have now, which I'm very fortunate to have. And it means that when things are thrown at you, you've got that sort of stability. You've got that feeling that I can cope, uh, that no matter what happens, we're going to cope. We want to say we, you know, me and my body. Right, and you know,
0: else. and I, I, think this is so important that you know we talk about intergenerational trauma, and I know you've had a whole conference yeah. on that. But there's yeah. also intergenerational resiliency. When you talk yeah. about your family and what you learned from your your dad, and and that thread of strength that you know, you were, you're that's what you're describing in yourself right now. So that yes. was something that you you learned somewhere.
2: Yeah, that's right. And there is a lot of stuff that comes down through the dna and through the genes and as you probably know we're all born with a load of genes and uh we we actually change about half of them by the time we're 16 or 17 simply through nurture um and i mean i I, i'm very fortunate to have my first grandson was born in january congratulations Uh, thank you very much I, i sometimes wonder if i maybe have too much information because i'm thinking at the moment that he is growing his neurons in his brain at the rate of 20,000 per second. Now, you and I, Elaine, are growing neurons probably a couple of hundred a day. Oh, yeah, moment. because we're, we're more towards the end of that, that
0: process of living, right? Yes. Well, you know, how exciting. But I have to say, I thought the same thing about my granddaughter when she was born, because we know those first 1,000 days are so important about brain growth, yes. and how exciting yes. that you have that, um, that knowledge now that we didn't have when our kids were little, but we have them yes. for our grandchildren.
2: Yes, and, and as you can see him grow, his facial features are changing. He's, apart from growing bigger, eye contact is improving. He's making noises. It's, it's wonderful for, for Brian and Karen to have this experience. And uh, you know, <laughs> and you, I you, can
0: just hear the grandpa going, oh, he's making really positive new neuronal pathways. And they're going, oh, my gosh, dad is really into this brain science. <laughs> yeah. I can just hear but it
2: then, now. See, it's so important to know some of these things, not all of them. I mean, I may Of course. Be Yes. But for example, when the baby's in the womb, it can actually hear its father's voice. And and that's an amazing thing to think of and can recognize the voice when it comes out. And that it gets traumatized when it's put through the, the birth canal because everything's tightened up and um, adrenaline's pumping through it and then takes its first breath. I mean, that's a traumatizing experience. <laughs>
0: And then hopefully Um, it has that parent that's going to rock it and soothe it and help its immature little nervous system. So, yes, all those wonderful things that that we know now about the science and about how the biology works. So, you know, I'm going to, can we just segue? Is there anything more you want to say about that until we segue to another question I would like to ask? No, that's fine. fine, Well, so um, can you tell us a little bit more about the mission of Action Trauma? What is the mission yes. what are you trying to do with it?
2: Yes, well, I'll very briefly just go back and say that when I decided to run a conference, which I thought was the best way of getting this awareness out to, to people, um, I personally went round lots and lots of other conferences, and I sat right in the front row. And whenever the conference was over, I actually wore a pink shirt and a cream jacket so that I stood out and I did that with all of them. Uh, and then I would go straight up to the likes of Bessel van der or, or Dan Siegel. And I would just be the first person onto the stage to, her, And I would say, would you possibly come to Northern Ireland in 2018 and, and do a talk for us on what you've just said? To... And they nearly always said yes. And I think this is the, again, the luck of the Irish perhaps, <laughs> that they all wanted to come to Belfast. Um, and, and indeed we had, as you did. and, and Yes, I had- did. 2018, and they loved it, and we entertained them because, you know, our hospitality is, is well known, and we looked after them, and they, they all enjoyed it.
0: Well, and you took us to the Titanic, incredible space there in Belfast and had the most fabulous dinner and singers, and it was a fabulous
2: evening that you hosted us there. So that's how we started, and, and Action Trauma then was the name. We, we tried a few names to start with, but we felt that was the one that epitomized what we did. And um, our mission is to change people's lives for the better by promoting awareness of trauma, its causes, its effects, and um, all of the recovery that can happen throughout the world. And then our our vision is ultimately a world where people stop hurting themselves and others because of trauma. And the message to that world is that trauma is not an illness it is an injury which can be healed, and that's very important. A lot of people think trauma is an illness, and the, the old diagnosis, I, I don't like diagnoses. Obviously, you have to have them, but they do tend to pinhole people and, and you know mark them out, and you follow, have to follow this course. and You don't have to follow this course. I could
0: not agree more with you, because I think what has happened is we've disordered everything. And so then people think they are the disorder, rather than being a human being that's had an injury, and an injury can heal. And we can recover. And we can also learn to work with the injuries that we've had, in order to feel like we're more whole as we walk through the world. I think you and I have a are very like minded about that. And I love that that's your mission.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you see, we've got a lot to work upon because unfortunately, uh, we're all aware of the troubles. We're aware of the Catholic Protestant divide, which it shouldn't be. Um, and uh, I mean, I actually am positive for the future. I am optimistic, but then I'm naturally optimistic person. <laughs> but I do believe that ultimately we will maybe be able to heal this. It's not going to be quick. Uh, but no, I mean, I we've got. I don't uh, think it's going to be quick. The statistics are are not good. Uh, We've got 39% of people in Northern Ireland of the population have experienced a traumatic event. 14% have a mental illness, which we don't (laughs) agree with. Uh, 9% have signs of PTSD. And our suicide rates are double that of the rest of the UK.
0: Oh, and I understand, especially amongst your youth when I was there, the yes. numbers that were shared with me. So, you know, could you just share one thing, because people may not, or some of our listeners from the United States may not understand when you say the Troubles. I know when I first heard, I go, what are the, What are they referring to when they talk about the Troubles? So, can you just briefly explain to our listeners
2: what the Troubles are? Well, it's quite a good year to do that, because this is the 100th anniversary of the Republic of Ireland being formed uh, and uh, when Northern Ireland became a separate entity. Um, and some people are celebrating that, and some people are crying about it, and it depends which side of the fence you are on. So to to some extent, the, uh, the the Protestant majority in the north uh, were worried about being absorbed into what they saw as a, a Catholic state which was dominated by the church. Now, a lot of that's changed, of course, but in the, that was the feeling in those days. Um, And uh, so the the Protestant majority, uh, it it is said, felt that they needed to protect this sort of six counties uh, in the north. Um, And so the Catholic population felt that they were being discriminated against in housing and so on. And that's where the civil rights movement came up uh, in the 1960s. And there were marches and all sorts of things. And essentially, I had left school at the age of 18, and I was standing on the roof of our drying kilns in Belfast. And I was listening to what was a roar of gunfire going off across mm-hmm. Belfast on a lovely summer's evening in August. Mm-hmm. I reckon there were four shots per second going off. It oh was my so goodness. wild. And then the army were brought in to try and stop that because there were terrible people, people being killed everywhere. Uh, and with the, when the first few days of the army being, everybody thought this is wonderful. But then very quickly, it changed ground to the army being against the IRA. And then the whole thing got into a hole. That's what the troubles were really from this. So from they call the, it the, the troubles happened. now. That was the thing I go, oh, that's the troubles. The conflict was the trouble. The yeah. troubles From 1968 through to the 1990s. Um, and it was a very tragic uh, uh, and a lot of people killed. Um, and a lot of people hurt. Uh, so, and it caused, uh, uh, you know, I think now we've got all sorts of deals in place where people are supposed to come together and fair employment laws, which do mean that everybody has not only just uh, male, female, but Catholic, Protestant, you have to have a balanced workforce. As I say, we always had a work, balanced workforce anyway, but a lot of companies didn't. Well, so I think that's been improved a lot.
0: Yes. And so when you talk about the troubles, I mean, the the conflict that happened then, and then you had just previously given those statistics. And do you think that what happened during that period of time are connected when we talk about intergenerational trauma? And I think this is also really important, Clive, that we're talking about this today, because we could not be immune to the uh, news of the last weeks, what's happening in Israel and Gaza right now. So yes. we know that what happened in Northern Ireland, you being a young man and the hearing the guns, we know that's happening and people are being killed probably right now as we speak. And so yes. when I know that I think we share this, that not only here I live in, in California, you live in Northern Ireland, but we have a shared vision, even though we live across the sea, that this yeah. potential for recovering can happen for all of us, but we have yes. to pay attention when these kinds of troubles or conflicts happen because, yes, maybe it's happening in one part of the world, but it impacts all of us now because we exactly. can see it, right? We can see it on the news. We, can, we may have friends. I have, we have people. I know people in both Israel and in Gaza, and so then are they okay? So yes. our, our world has become smaller, so to speak, with technology and all the things that you know, we are living with right yes. now.
2: And we, as a species, as humans, are very easily influenced by the wrong messages. Uh, and people stand up uh, and, and they they shout and they roar and they get a, a crowd hysteria going. And the next thing, I mean, you you saw what happened in the uh, general in the American elections, you know, with that. <laughs> yes, that, all too that, all too much. Yes, absolutely and that is what can happen when people get all stirred up and it it can be done and and you know the same thing happened in the in the second world war with hitler it's you've got to be so careful now there's a chap called david eagleman who has done a lot of films all about the brain very clever chap and i i can't remember which part of the series but in it he has, a, and it's just after one of the uh, there've the, the been uh, rioting between blacks and police and so on in America, and this teacher who was very very far-sighted, a, a woman teacher, had a class of five-year-olds or six-year-olds, and she drew them all together and she said, "Now, who's got blue eyes and who's got brown eyes?" Mm-hmm. And have you heard this story i heard here? that,
0: but you know, I would love for you to tell us more about that after the break. So, after, we're okay. continue this discussion um, yes. because this is a very important point that you're going to make. So, I okay. am here with Clive Corey, a Northern Irish businessman that has become quite an expert on trauma and recovering. And we will continue this lively, um, I would only say insightful discussion with him when we return. This is Elaine miller Kerris. Resiliency Within.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit
0: organization Cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our
3: free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma: The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com trauma resource institute build resilience awaken hope your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: this is resiliency within with elaine miller karras
0: We're here with Clive Corey. We've been having a lively discussion. He's gonna continue um, with what he was talking about regarding the teacher. If you can just kind of rephrase it a little bit and tell us the next part of that story, Clive.
2: Yes, a very forward-thinking lady teacher with a a class of about five-year-olds, mixed boys and girls. And uh, as I say, there was this rioting between police and, and, and crowds and so on that had been happening and was being talked about everywhere. And she put them together and she said, now I want you to divide into brown eyes and blue eyes. If your eyes aren't one particular color, just decide which group you're going to join. And she had the brown eyes on the left-hand side and the blue eyes on the other. And then she looked at them and she said, now I want to tell you that it's a good thing to have blue eyes and it's a bad thing to have brown eyes. So brown eyes go to the back of the class. Blue eyes all up to the front. Oh, and blue eyes, you can have your juice now. Brown eyes, you don't get any juice. And these kids at the back with the brown eyes were really, really quite upset. And then after a short period of time, she said, I told you a fib. Actually, brown eyes are good. Blue eyes are bad. So, Swap around, blue eyes, go to the back. And these kids at the front who thought that they were the best suddenly were crestfallen and they were put to the back and uh, the brown eyes came forward and they got their juice. And this happened many, many years ago. And uh, David Eagleman interviewed two of the men who had actually been in that room, who were now age whatever it was, 35. And they said they can remember even now the feelings that they had of being bigger than the other guys, and and we were the people, and they were just nobody. And then when it would turn around the other way, suddenly they were crestfallen as they were put to the back of the room. And this really taught them all what it was, how easily influenced you could be by what somebody said.
0: Well, and as you said that, too, the way that you described it, it was not only cognitively what they said, but it was the embodiment. Even you... um, those of you that are on facebook can see it but those of you that are listening your whole body kind of collapsed as you talked about the the children moving to the back right and so i think that the whole biological connection that it's yeah. you know every thought every feeling has a connection in the body because i think yes. you and i are both of the of the ilk that we think that you have to pay attention to the body when you're helping people recover from these uh, more than windstorm storms that, that impact us all. So thank you for that, um, for that uh, reminder of, of these kinds of things that separate us and how we don't want to be putting children in those situations. And we want to say, how can we have dialogue together? But I'm, I'm also wanting to just say um, a little bit right now, because I know that Action Network has a, new, a major world event coming up in June. And can you just say a little bit about the Trauma Recovery Summit that's coming up, um, Clive?
2: yes uh, and this is a a virtual summit however um, and we we did it last year as the trauma summit wasn't recovery summit and we did that in june suddenly with the pandemic we had to change all our plans all the speakers who'd been uh, agreed and were coming over to fly to belfast couldn't fly anymore and everybody really rose to the situation and they gave us all of their talks on video, and we were able to run the trauma summit last June in 2020. Um, And now in 2021, we're going to do that, but this time concentrating on recovery, the recovery of trauma not just you know how it happened or whatever. And we're going to host it in Titanic Belfast, the very place that you had your dinner in, uh, Elaine, yes. uh, in 2018. Uh, and We can do that with, and we can bring some experts in for panel discussions. We're going to have a host there. We'll have this wonderful picture, you know, the, the building itself is iconic and we'll be able to host the whole thing, but it'll be virtual. And we're going to have our speakers. They will be asked, questions and answers live by our host uh, on the day, Um, and uh, it's going to last three days. So the previous ones have been two days. This is a three-day summit.
0: Well, I and I think that people can still sign up if people are listening and saying, I would like to enroll in this. All they have to go is to the website. Is that right?
2: That's right. Traumasummit.com. So Very go important. ahead
0: and take a peek and see if it's something that you might want to participate in. And is this for everyone? You have to be a health professional to come to this? or No, can
2: there's no, no uh, there will be a lot of health professionals and psychotherapists and psychiatrists and psychologists and doctors, but there will also be lots of members of the public who maybe have taken an interest, as indeed I have, because I've got no medical qualifications whatsoever. Uh, and yet this is the sort of thing that I went to and, and loved going to because it explains so much. All right. So, um, and we'll, we'll
0: tell you about it again at the end of the show. And now I'd like to segue now to some other questions that, that we've prepared. And um, to start out with, I would like to ask you this one. So how can we help the population of the world to love to be kind to, to understand, to be compassionate towards and respect each other for who they are and not what they are?
2: Yes, this is a very deep question, and it cuts right to the heart of what happened in uh, and happening in Northern Ireland. And I think that it is sharing experiences and sharing emotions uh, and with people maybe showing compassion and understanding and kindness for those who they may not necessarily agree with, but who have the right to have their point of view. And I think if if we can uh, do this really starting off at school stage, and that's one of the things that I'm a bit concerned about in that, we still have segregated education here in Northern Ireland. And I think that the more we move towards uh education where everybody comes together and we learn about other people's uh, sports their, their their views their thoughts and their religions and we can then accept and decide what we want to do ourselves and and that they have the right to do what they want to do
0: well i think you're right because i think as long as we are in silos then we don't learn about oh well he oh he has a sister too oh she bugs him just like my sister bugs me oh yes. my gosh Maybe we have some things alike. Oh, he likes that show or that, you know, video game, whatever that might be. But if we yeah. don't have those shared experiences, it's like an, in, tra- in the Trauma Resource Institute, there's a term that um, our Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee has been using. And I, I really love it. It's like from otherness to us from otherness yes. to us, and I think what you're talking about is one of the, the ways that we possibly can can be more of an us, but if, we, if we're in silos in different
2: schools or in different buckets, how are we going to know each other? And one of the tragedies of the troubles in Northern Ireland that I mentioned starting sort of 1968 running through the 1990s uh, is that people tended to go together for safety because they felt threatened in another area. So you've got these pockets of Catholic, Protestant, Catholic, Protestant in different areas, and that doesn't help at all. In fact, we've had to build peace walls between them. Now, a lot of those have been taken down, but in 2018, I remember Dan Siegel went up and did a a selfie video of himself standing at a peace wall and hoping that one day this would come down and that uh, he was working towards that end.
0: You know, I, I and I think those are the kinds of things that the things that we construct, you know, what are the meanings behind the things that we construct? Yes. And I know that there was a wall that I saw on one of the black taxi tours that yes. looked very much like a huge separation between two parts of the city.
2: Exactly. That and of course it happened in Berlin and thank goodness that wall yes. has come down but it's not so long ago that there was a war being talked about going up at, uh, on the Mexican border. And I think we all ought to reflect about that. What, where, what direction is it taking us in?
0: Yeah. And I, again, is there these things that are separating us apart as people and are there other ways that we can, you know, have the, um, some ideas about immigration that aren't about building structures. I think yeah. that these are very important questions. I don't have all the answers to them. No, not at all. But we certainly we certainly need to ask the questions. And I guess um, there's another another question I want to ask you if we can segue into that. And I, this is a very important one. I think you and I are probably a little bit on the same page about this. But how do we encourage people to get in touch with their body and their feelings such that they do not dissociate when a trauma memory is recalled? So just so you all know that there are many um, environmental cues. That Let's say, for example, that if, we were, if I was abused by a man who wore a certain kind of cologne, like English leather, and I was in the grocery store, and all of a sudden I smell English leather, and all of a sudden I'm, I feel fear, my body tightens up, and I want to run out of the store, but I don't know why, because my body is having a reaction because of what you said earlier, Clyde. We are, we are programmed to remember yeah. the negative things that have happened to us so that we'll have a response to keep us alive. But if we do that, every time we smell a certain scent, we're never going to get to the grocery store and get our groceries to feed our family. I mean, that's kind of a a very simple um, uh, description. But these things happen in a way that sometimes we will absolutely not even realize that we have left our body. And someone will say, well, didn't you go to the grocery store? I go, I know I was going to the grocery store, but somehow i just found myself back in the driveway at home and i don't even know how i got there so that's what we mean about dissociate so i wanted to give that little description before you talk about um how do we encourage people to get in touch with their body and their feelings
2: yes there are lots of ways a lot depends on the severity of the trauma because trauma sits as a pattern Uh, as you say it could be smell it could be sight it could be sound uh, it sits as a pattern in the subconscious, in the very ancient part of our brain. And as soon as the uh, these the things are recognized, like the cologne or whatever, suddenly the survival instinct kicks in, adrenaline starts to flow, your heart rate increases, and you begin to look around for where you can run to. So it depends on the nature of the trauma. It may not be just quite that way. It could be that you, you didn't get a good childhood. You had problems early on, and you just don't feel safe generally. Uh, There are lots of ways, and it really depends upon the person and everybody's individual. Lots of things are very helpful. Breathing is helpful. Now, before I came on this evening, I was nervous, I'll admit. I did some breathing. Now, that sounds easy because we all breathe, but you just breathe out slightly longer than you breathe in and you do it in a nice regular pattern. And that helps you to soothe. There are other things that you can do. Uh, Mindfulness is one, Uh, yoga is another. Any form of exercise is actually very good. And then if it's quite a complex trauma, you maybe go to a psychotherapist or someone who can give you uh, advice and help. And that can take the form of hypnosis or CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, where they talk, talk the thing through and you reconcile it in your mind. There are so many different ways. Another one's called Neurofeedback. Uh, I could go on, but in fact, that's all what's gonna happen on June 21st to 23rd, where we're gonna tell you about all of these. I'm not doing this for a salesman.
0: <laughs> it's not a teaser, a little appetizer, but, yeah, but I, mean, yeah. I think that the other thing, you know, I know that you have Peter Levine who created Somatic Experiencing coming to your, who will be speaking. You certainly know that I've created the Trauma Resiliency Model. And those right. body-centered approaches are really important because I really want all our listeners to know that you don't have to be trapped by what's happened to you in your life. There are roads to recovering. And I'm going to say ing. It doesn't mean that everything will go away for some of you, but it that means that you can feel more participatory in life and not feel like, oh my gosh, it's like there's landmines if I leave my, my house because there's a scent, a smell, a sound, all these different things that can take me out of the present moment. So it's very important to you know underscore what Clive is saying is that there's many different tools in a toolbox because there's not one that fits all. And that I think that's what you're trying to do, Clive, is show all the different tools that are available so that individuals and therapists have a larger toolbox to
2: help them get through life. And some people feel out of touch with their body. And I mean, it's quite a simple thing, even to lie in bed or sit in a chair Put your feet flat on the floor and think about the parts of your body touching the chair, your legs, your thighs, and just think about all of this and feel it in your mind. It's all touching. And that way you can begin to get in touch with your body. Now That can be quite difficult for some people. With it others, can. they are in touch.
0: Well, and we call that grounding in the community resiliency model and the trauma resiliency model. And there's all different kinds of forms. But also, I want everyone to know that if you can't sense your body, it doesn't mean that you'll never be able to sense your body and your well being, because you sense your body all the time, but maybe you don't pay attention to it. Like, Um, If you're out and it's cold in Belfast, I've been in Belfast when it's really been cold. I've needed a big old coat. So if I, and I was in uh, in 2018, they had an unseasonably warm weather that I brought only cold weather clothes and I needed shorts and a t-shirt. You remember 2018, Clive, right? So my body was reading the temperature. So sometimes it's very subtle things that we do first to kind of open up that awareness. Oh, I'm already doing this. But maybe I can do it in a way that cultivates my well-being, like the deeper breath or sensing your body in the present moment, mindfulness practices.
2: One one of the things that Peter Levine uh, uh, told me and which I do every time I have a shower is I move around the shower and I say right shoulder, left shoulder, (laughs) back of the neck. Very simple
0: things. I often say to people, when you're doing the dishes, notice the water on your hands. is it, you know, of course it's wet, but, you know, is it warm? Is it cool? Do you like warmer warmer water than cooler water? I mean, there's so many different ways to kind of awaken yep. that sensory system. Now, let me ask you another question. Um, this is such an important um, question, I think, um, as we're talking about, we we want to why do we want people to be able to to recover from trauma we want them to feel better in mind body and spirit to have greater self-compassion for themselves and others but there's also this question how can we persuade people to think of the greater good rather than personal wants and desires when it comes to major communal and world issues for example such as the environment and global warming
2: Yes, and uh, you know, when we, uh, we had a little pre-talk about these questions, and that probably is the most difficult one to answer, um, because, uh, again, it's really only your love and your compassion and your kindness and your understanding, and indeed back to the gratitude thing again, that we have all these things just now, but you do need to look after them. Because if we don't, there's no doubt that we are heading towards global warming on a scale which will see large areas of land, particularly in the Far East, which will simply disappear as the, as the water uh, in and, and polar bears in the in the north, uh, I gather, are having a difficult time to get seals because the ice is breaking up. So we have to be very careful. I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to this question, and I, I'm not sure who does. Other than we all should try and care more, and it starts on a personal level. So, if I'm the one who's throwing plastic bags into the sea or uh, not recycling stuff, then I'm helping to contribute to the problem. So, it starts really with each of us. And if each of us all takes a personal interest, then we can make a make a change.
0: And I think that as much as there's been so much suffering during the pandemic, and I know that many people have lost loved ones and been sick, you know, I heard someone say that Mother Earth got a little bit of a break. No one was yeah. driving their cars, I mean, in terms of that that footprint, yeah. that carbon footprint that can happen. Um, yeah. And certainly we don't want a pandemic, but in terms of how can we do that in a, in a more um, also a ma- macro system level in our communities, you know, are yes. we doing anything besides on an individual level to bring attention to this? But I think the other thing that I get very concerned about is um, the, um, the effects of global warming on human beings you know yes. what is it like for us to have you know a change in the climate that maybe that might destroy our, flo- our, our crops or maybe mm. our uh, livestock are not going to make it because there's a drought i mean i think yes. if we look at the repercussions of of the global warming we see how human beings we're talking about trauma can be very impacted by everything that we're talking about So it's not a benign conversation, and it's not a conversation. I believe, like you, that we all have to be talking about this, not just our governmental elected officials. It has to be a a discussion for all. Yeah. So this next question I have for you, which is kind of connected, is how can people of high net worth – be persuaded to support life-changing trauma treatments and appro- approaches such that millions of lives may be transformed for the better, and in so doing, help
2: to reduce the poverty gap. Big question, <laughs> Clive, just yes. a question. Yes, indeed. And, and people of high net worth very often get there because of traumas. Uh, you often find that somebody, perhaps whose father died when they were quite young, Uh, felt driven to actually be successful and to do better, or or even if they had a very poverty-stricken life that they wanted to do better. Um, And and having got there, they sort of hang on to it. Now, there are a few, and we know, obviously, Bill Gates and so on, who have now dedicated their lives to using that money usefully. Um, But there aren't very many of them who do that. And the thing is that if they were to be generous in a way, not just handing out money, but handing out um, uh, information, if you like, to how you can re- be a better person, how you can resolve your trauma, help some of these trauma uh, resolution methods to grow, then you've impacted millions of people in a much better way than, than trying to give them money.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that if we can look at it in that those global ways and get every single person on the globe, especially those of means, because they do have so many means. And I mean, do you really need billions of dollars? Um, and if there is, uh, I think there's and there's something wonderful that um, is in England that I've been fortunate enough to go to, which is the Skoll Conference by Jeffrey Skoll, yes. who's used his um, the, the billions that he made. Um, to really bring people together to think about some of the solutions to these world problems. So I really want to let our listeners know, go to to Skoll, S-K-O-L-L, just put it in your Google Drive. And they have, they just had their conference that I just attended virtually in um, at Oxford, but it brings some of these big, huge issues to the forefront and some of the solutions to them. Now yeah. I cannot believe it. We only have a few minutes left. <laughs> Clive, uh, I told you this hour was gonna go very quickly. Yes. So I'm just wondering yeah. as we're as we're getting ready to end our time together, is that is there some parting thought, something that you've learned on this journey? You're a wise soul. You know, if I mean 1950, that means you're, oh my goodness, you're gonna be 71 this year. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm I'm very close behind you. Um, is there anything that you wanna say to our listeners?
2: Well, there are advantages Aren't to being 70 as well. I've now had my two vaccines and all this. <laughs> so, so have I,
0: so have I, yes.
2: Yes, uh, I think that um, probably the most profound things are the words that I used at the beginning and I sign all my emails with, with this. We need to think of love and we need to think of compassion and kindness and understanding. And if we if we do that, when I say we need to, I think it just helps us to do that. Then you become a better person and you become uh, someone who can influence other people in a positive way. Uh, and when somebody goes out and does a shooting in a school or whatever, um, they've killed maybe six, 12, 15 pupils. Why did they do that? I'm not saying we let them off in any way. What I'm saying is, if we could get at the trauma that probably caused them to do that, wouldn't that be a better way of saving those 15 lives? And when you think that in our jails, the the male uh, occupants of jails are nearly all there because of trauma, and the female occupants of jails are nearly all there because of male trauma, And when you think about that, you say, well, actually, they're just being wasted in there. If we could get at them, remove that trauma, prevent the intergenerational trauma that put them there in the first place, wouldn't that make life a lot better?
0: I could not agree more, Clive. I just want to thank you so much for coming and joining me with me today, knowing that for me, it's one in the afternoon, but for you, it's it's getting close to 10 o'clock at night. So you're still quite lively, I must say. Um, But I want to just remind our listeners um, about the traumasummit.com and that if you'd like to go participate, please go check it out. And that's going to be June 21st to the 23rd, um, just coming around the corner. But also, you know, Clive, I'm encouraged by you and empowered by your post-traumatic growth. And I have to say that Jillian is very much with us today as we've been talking. And, And look at the smile on your face as I just even say her name. And thank you for sharing her spirit and what she inspired you to do um, is, is, a, is pretty darn amazing, and I'd have to say. And I want to remind our listeners, you know, think about what's happened to Clive and how he transformed his life. And from such a tragedy to being such an ambassador, and I'm going to say of hope and courage and of compassion and gratitude. So thank you so much, Clive, and I know that we will meet again. And I'm gonna, we're gonna have to have you again because we we definitely have more to talk about. This seems like we just started. Absolutely. So, to be continued, I will say. So thank,
2: thank you, you very- so much. It's been thank an you. honor and a privilege. And I would just say, everybody must keep hope alive. Hope is the one thing that we must always have. There's yes. Lots of.
0: Keep hope alive. So blessings to all my listeners. I will see you next week. I'm going to have two lo- really lovely ladies who've also been transformed and have created a nonprofit um, breaking code silence after the terrible institutional child abuse that they endured. Come and listen in terms of their resiliency and how they're going forward in the world. Again, this is Elaine miller Kerris, Resiliency Within from Voice of America.